Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 154, BGG Hotness. We'd like to welcome Eric, our brand new Patreon backer, to the table. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we are talking about board games once again. If we weren't, this wouldn't be a board game podcast, correct? Pretty sure. Although I've heard a few that it takes a while for them to get that far, so... <laughs> They're fun. I like it. It's good stuff, guys. It's <laughs> you got to have some tangents occasionally. It's true. If you guys could hear all of our tangents that we talk about before we actually hit record on this, just saying, get in the Patreon group and vote. We will record something not about board games. You could hear our last Jedi rants or <laughs> our politics rants or <laughs> that guy at the grocery store rants there's all sorts of rants sure we we have a lot of deep and meaningful social political psychological philosophical discussions that we have just before we come onto the podcast so if by chance you are interested in any of that insanity that we have at the table together jump on patreon by giving us a buck or two so we can bring you extra episodes and then pick what we actually talk about on those bonus episodes. Anthony and I just finished one, and it was a little controversial. And it's nice to have that opportunity to talk about some controversial stuff that's actually happening in board gaming right now, Anthony. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, we we asked everybody in the Patreon group. They said they wanted to hear a designer-specific episode, so we posted one up about Eric Lang. And if you've been following board games at all lately, you know that Eric Lang is associated with a certain kickstarter campaign so that was discussed in there as well so yeah that was a fun one uh if you are back around patreon you can catch it there and we'll post the links in the slack group on patreon all those places but gotta you gotta hop on there and join and those will be up every month yeah that's a big help for us to get to all the conventions being able to bring you new and interesting board games especially the hotness because that's typically what everyone wants to talk about but it takes a couple of bucks here and there to actually get to the hotness. So that will be our feature review, BGG's hotness for this month. But before we get into all of that fun, let's talk about what everyone's talking about on Facebook. So, Anthony, what's our question of the week? All right. So everybody on Facebook, my apologies, because Facebook is down today. Um, I know. So I'm pulling from Twitter. So <laughs> okay, it, you can you can also let us know on Twitter what you think. And we got a, actually got some really good answers here as well. And I usually pull from both. But all the Facebook peeps, if you answer this question, it's not my fault. Facebook's down. <laughs> uh, so I asked everybody, what's the most important thing a friendly local game store can do to earn your patronage? So got some good answers here. Uh, Scott at ScottJP42 said, while pricing is important, I also think events and demo learn to play events are good. My FLGS does this every Saturday, then offers a discount on the game demoed. Great idea. Mike says, keep toxic people out, period. <laughs> so I'm I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that. Uh, One More Games says, contribute to the growth of a community by providing a space to play. Oda, uh, who's actually one of our 
Patreon backers, it's on the Slack group, uh, conversations all the time, says, somehow be competitive with online gaming store pricing, sad but true, as a solo gamer, friendly local game stores offer little to me. So uh, I, I feel that pain because I, I frequently, you know, I don't get to go to the Saturday demos at my local store as much because, you know, life. So <laughs> I agree with all that stuff. I think you need to have some kind of policy, keep out people who are making it tough for other people, be inclusive, uh, encourage diversity, find some way to compete on price. You're not going to be able to get down to those crazy online prices, but do something. People want you to do something. You know, it doesn't have to be 30% off, but sure. if you can pull off 10 or give people discounts or frequent buyer cards or whatever, do something. It's a challenge. And obviously, we've been talking about bonus episodes. This would be a great bonus episode. Anthony and I have hit so many different board game stores over the years and got to see some of the best and worst that come along with it. There's definitely a lot of things you could do to make that environment a lot more conducive for gaming, especially for new gamers. I was actually talking to a new gamer who was talking about walking into a board game store and just getting the worst vibe possible from the people there and just slowly backing out there. For me, as someone who's been gaming a lot and is not too worried about walking into a store that has a lot of Magic players you know, staring me down, I like to see a board game library that's available to play for free. Because more and more these days, board games are very expensive. And before I drop $60, $70 on a game, if I could get a chance just to demo it and just see how it plays, that's going to make a big difference. And that's something I can't do online, being able to actually see the components firsthand, getting kind of a little bit of a run through. And that's just generally a lot of fun and would get me to come back to store and purchase the game there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, having that flexibility, being able to just drop in, not have to load up a bunch of stuff in your car, you know, just be like, oh, I'm going to hang out for an hour or two and see what they have to play. That'd be awesome. You discover new games all the time by getting the games to the table. So the more they can do that, all the better. So if you want to get in contact with us, and Facebook is not giving you promise, Anthony said, we also have our Twitter account. If that's not working, we also have our website, boardgamersanonymous.com. You can reach out to us directly there. There's a ton of content, especially our recent top 100 list, which you can feel free to kind of pick apart and let us know what you love and what you hate. And all of that stuff doesn't work out, then I would say put a green colored meeple in your window and we'll know. We'll know that you want to talk to us and we'll reach out to you there. <laughs> if you get a knock on the door, like, what? What? Oh, I left that meeple out. My bad. Yeah, you left the rare green meeple out there. So I, I knew. So I think we have to work on a bat signal or something where there's like a giant meeple in the sky. So, all right. So with all of that fun social media and sci-fi-ness, <laughs> as far as reaching out to contact us, let's get on to the games that we want to talk about and the games that we want to get to the table, hopefully very soon. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders, Anthony. So what do you got coming up? All right. So this game looks insane, you guys. It is called U-Boot, the board game. It's probably pronounced U-Boat, but it's spelled U-Boot. So that's what I'm going to say. It is a game about managing a submarine. It is, and this is quoting, a real-time app-driven board game of submarine warfare. It's cooperative. So at first glance, it sounds a little like Captain Sonar because real-time cooperative submarine, right? Kind of the same idea, but it's way more stuff than that. It is, just look at the Kickstarter. It's just got stuff everywhere. It's got this three-dimensional U-boat in the middle of the play space, I guess you call it. It comes apart. 
Uh, you got the little guys moving around there. There's the four different roles. So you've got the captain is going to oversee different mission objectives and handle all the action points, deal with morale. There's an app. So the first officer manages the app and the flow of information, make sure people stay healthy. The navigator, obviously, make sure the submarine's going in the right direction, follows all that information. And then the engineer keeping everything working. So again, kind of the same as Captain Sonar. All those things are the same. But instead of the one thing you're doing, you're doing a lot of things it's so much stuff going on here and when i first saw this i was like eh war game blah <laughs> you know but then i dig into it a little bit and there's just a lot of cool looking ideas here now whether it all comes together and works i do not know um but when you've got kind of the you know actual naval map and all the different tools for navigating and you're writing on things and manipulating all these different pieces and moving your guys around i I really want to see how it works. I wish there was a way to try it or see it outside of just like preview videos or something just to get a sense of how this actually functions because, you know, it's pricey. That's <laughs> anything like this is going to be pricey. It seems unique in, in to say the least. Yeah, I really like the look of this game. And I think that's one of the great things about Kickstarter is it brings you very unique projects. And obviously we have Captain Sonar out there. So that was my first thought when I looked at this game. Like, oh, okay, you get to play all these different things. But definitely, and I don't think this is just, you know, something just for the effect of it. But it seems like a very interesting and unique game piece as far as having this U-boat that you'll be able to play. And definitely brings people to the table. Yeah, for sure. This is the kind of game if you set it up. Every single person who walks by your table is going to be like, what are you doing? You know, and there's a few games like that where just people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> and this one will. You get that a lot, huh? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, this is definitely one I'm hoping someone near me backs so, so I can check it out in a few. So months. you can walk up to them going, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, guys? Oh, man. That's, so that's U-Boot or U-Boat, however you want to call it. Um, it's now on Kickstarter. I think it's up for a few more days. Sure. Look, actually, 20 more days. So you'll have about two weeks when this episode goes Okay. Up. Well, I want to talk about another grand Kickstarter. This is a game by Eagle Griffin Games. This is the Scarlet Pimpernel Signature Edition. And as Anthony said, these Kickstarters are ongoing, and this one's going to wrap up on Tuesday, February 13th. So you do have some time with this. Now, this is once again a classic Euro game from Eagle Griffin, who's done some outstanding games in the past, especially on the heavy variety. So if you've enjoyed games like Lisboa, for example, this might be something that's interesting to you. This game is obviously less on that weight. So if you're not a fan of the super heavy games, this might be great. So what we're talking about here is the Scarlet Pimpernel from historical kind of context is has these daring adventures trying to save people from the guillotine, these innocent people. And you are one of his people trying to accomplish missions to save people throughout Europe, moving your way up to England. And these different missions will allow you to, in some ways, cooperate with the other players because you're all trying to save these people, but it is still a competitive game. So while you're all utilizing different spaces and utilizing special abilities and special characters to be able to accomplish these missions to save these different people in these different areas, you'll be able to take their resources, take their people in order to kind of 
give you like the prestige to show the Scarlet Pimpernel that you are the best of the best as far as helping saving these people. Very interesting artwork here. Very different style by Ian O'Toole. And this is a new game by Brian Kelly. I haven't seen any of his other games previously. I looked into his kind of oodology here and didn't see anything pop up here, but looks like an outstanding production. There is a standard version here that you could check out. Not too bad. It's about 55 bucks, but you're probably going to be leaning towards a $75 version, which has all the wonderful extra pieces and great production here. Seems like it has a lot of different gameplays as far as coming back and kind of like the different missions really set you up for different ways in which you can accomplish them based upon the people that are available to give you resources. So basically, this is a cube pusher game. You're going to take your cubes, you're going to gain resources, you're going to gain supporters, you're going to place your meeples and cubes along these different routes in order to successfully complete missions. So this is a mission-based game with a little tableau building and action selection. As I said, this is another quality Euro game from Eagle Griffin Games, but definitely on, I would say, to the medium kind of or a little bit lighter version of this here. So check this game out. I think it'll be an enjoyable experience. It looks really nice. Any Ian O'Toole game, I'm like, well, maybe. <laughs> well, it, especially you talked about having that kind of wow factor at the table. This actually comes with a guillotine, a little <laughs> kind of cardboard guillotine. It's not even that little. It's pretty big. It's a good size. Like, it's the first player marker. I'm like, that's like a book. It's a big, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if some players are kind of lagging behind in this game, you just, you know, it's, Slowly kind of push it towards them in a, in a kind of threatening <laughs> manner. Like, come on, we got to save some people here. So nice production. Definitely something to check out. All right, Anthony, we talked about all the games that we want to get to the table eventually and go, what are you doing? And let's actually talk about the games we did get to the table. So what do you have for your at the table section? All right. So we have uh, our BGG hotness episode this week. We're talking about a bunch of new games. So I'm going to talk about one that's 12 years old. Yeah. It was hot at some point, right? It was. I think it should be hot again. The Pillars of the Earth. This is uh, Michael Rennick and Stefan Stadler's, for a lot of people, grail game for a long time because this game is 12 years old. It was out of print for most of that time because the license expired and they did not make very many of them. So people who had it were very happy to have it. People who did not would spend much, much money to get it. But somehow the board game gods shone upon us that Cosmos got the license back and the game has been reprinted in the exact same edition nothing has changed from the first edition that i can tell and so i got a chance to play this for the first time in full and i think because of how much this hobby has grown most people have not played this so i think i'm safe in reviewing this and that most listeners out there have not played this game and it's worth hearing about because it is now finally available yay so the pillars of the earth now this is an older game like i said and you can tell from some of the mechanisms and Certain things about it were probably, you know, very unique and new at the time, and they've been done in different ways since. But it still works in a very interesting way, kind of how it flows. The game takes place over uh, multiple phases. The first phase, you're going to have this tableau of different cards laid out on the table. Uh, There's going to be a couple of these cards that you can purchase that have special that you can add them to your to your tableau in front of you that will allow you to take certain actions. These cost a certain amount of money that you have to spend in this phase. There's also a way to get these cards without spending money later during the worker placement phase. So you might want to wait and get those, but if it's a really good one, it's maybe worth spending for. Resources in this game are very tight. If you run out of money, 
you can't really do very much for a couple of reasons, which I'll get to. So you really have to play very tight with your resources, especially the money. The other things that are out there are cards that give you cubes. And so the cubes represent sand, stone, and wood. So it's just the materials that you're going to use to build the cathedral. And that's, that's what the game is about. If you've read the novel, it's all about building a grand cathedral in a small English town. You're building that cathedral. So you take these cards with your 12 workers. You're always going to have 12 workers at the start of every round. And these cards cost between 2 and 10 workers each. And they give you a certain number of cubes. Later on, you're going to take those cubes and convert them into victory points with those cards in your tableau. So the first round or two, you're like, this seems really, really basic. But as you go along, there are certain things you can do to minimize, maximize efficiency, build your engine, and ideally make it more efficient than someone else. So once everybody's bought everything or passed, and then you're done with that phase, you go to the worker placement phase. So how this works is everybody has three master builder workers. They go into a bag and you draw them one at a time. The first player is gonna do this. Now, the first player has the option to veto one time and put one of the workers back and redraw. And the reason this is important is because the first one you draw costs seven to place. The second one you draw costs six, all the way down to zero. So if you draw yours first as a first player, of course, you're going to put it back. Why would you want to pay seven if you could wait and hopefully pay less? So it's an interesting mechanism because someone could kind of get screwed over a little bit here and have all three of theirs drawn first and have them cost seven six five and if you don't have the money you just skip it and you don't get to place that worker so money is very tight and you kind of have to go on the assumption that you're only going to get one or two worker placements on that turn don't plan for three if you get three awesome bonus but plan for one or two and so you go around and do that get them all out there and then you go through and execute them all in order so it's kind of like the older style of worker placement where you everybody places them and you execute them in a certain order it is programmed so it's not even turn order it's just number one number two number three number four on and on and on so some of these are you get new cards that have bonuses others are you get some money um, there's a victory point space there's a you can pick up metal there's an event that happens every round so there's a way to kind of protect yourself from that if it's a negative event you can Again, get new workers to add to your tableau. You can take the first player marker. You can go to the market and buy or sell cubes. And all these things are options for, you know, basically improving your tableau, getting the resources you need and taking actions. And so you just go through and you do this, you know, for the multiple rounds through the game, I believe there's six. And at the end of the game, you see who has the most points. So the game is fairly simple. It's easy to teach. There's not a lot going on here. The randomness in the draw of the cards, and the, especially the draw of the master builders is huge. It's very important. You have to pay a lot of attention. Don't let yourself get hit. If you run out of money, you can get more, but then you have to make the decision to not use your workers to get resources at the beginning of the round. So every decision you make is like, uh, this is gonna hurt me, but maybe this will hurt me more. It's a very tight push-pull kind of game, but I really enjoyed it. I feel like for a game that takes an hour, hour and a half, that's relatively easy to teach, that still has some very, you know, streamlined mechanics. Everything flows very smoothly. The basic idea is get cubes, turn cubes in for points. That's it. Everybody can figure that out. Overall, it's a fun experience, and I'm really happy I finally got a chance to play it. All right, so that's Pillars of the Earth. If you've not had a chance to check this out, definitely check it out. For me, I think it's going to be a buy. Even with those kind of luck factors, because of the length, because of the weight, and because of the accessibility, 
I think it really works in some interesting ways. So I see what the hype is about now. I don't think it's I don't think it was necessarily worth the $150, $200 people were paying for it, but uh, it's definitely a really good game and has a nice place on my shelf. Yeah, I heard about this game so many years ago, and it was typically classified as a Grail game. And I had seen the videos. I wanted to play this. And it was kind of like the running gag because there were a couple of people who did have this game. And some of the games were in shrink. And some of the games are kind of available. But since this game had been on print for so long and because of this, I guess, legal situation and such, no one thought this game was going to come back into print. And it never got to the table. And it became legend, right? This game became a legend and I always wanted to play it. I was looking forward to play it because I love those worker placement games. And now that it's out again, yeah, how could this game not be the new hotness? Yeah, it's surprising. Like, I've brought it to Game Night a few times and a lot of people are like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, there's no way you've played this, right? (laughs) You're like 25 years old and this game hasn't even been in print since you were like 12. Come on. Sure. It's got a little cathedral made of wood. You build it as the game goes along. It has nothing That's to do great. with the game. It's just a round tracker, but it's cool looking. Definitely. Yeah, I want to play this so bad, and I'm looking forward to actually being able to see this at the table. I think when I eventually do, I'm going <laughs> to be like thrilled just to actually get that there because I've been trying to kind of get people to bring out their copy, but it's just been too rare and too expensive. But I'm glad this is a buy. Well, talking about games that are rare and hard to come by is a game that... I've been tremendously surprised by because I got to be honest with you, in general at least, although one of my favorite games of all time is I'm not a co-op gamer. It's just not the type of game that I generally like to get to the table because while it's always great to play a great game with friends and to focus on one goal together, generally co-op games have a lot of problems that go along with them, specifically alpha gaming or just super heavy AP, or it's just a mathematical formula that you have to figure out. And once you do, it's kind of done. You just kind of wait the next several turns to actually win. Or sometimes the game turns out to be too easy and you just blow it away in the first couple of rounds, or it's too difficult and you lose in the first couple of rounds. So there are typically a lot of problems with co-ops to get it just right. So when I got Spirit Island to the table, to be honest, I wasn't expecting too much. Now, I did really enjoy, right from the start, the graphical design, the artistic display here. And there's, unfortunately, or fortunately enough, there are so many different artists that contributed to this game that it would probably take way too long to name them all. I think there's about 15 or so of them. But the designer here is R. Eric Roos. And I got to say, this was a definitely very impressive game right from the start. The board is beautiful. It's It's a modular board, and it's two-sided. So you can actually play a, I guess, a little graphically simpler game because each of the different parts of these board setups are going to have different regions. And the different regions could be a jungle region or a mountain region. And on one side, it's very graphically kind of like, I I would think, I would kind of put it on par with the Glory to Rome black box version. It's just very symbolic of what it is, just a block of color with a very simple design, but a very beautiful design. And on the other side is a very complex and interesting island look that's highly detailed. But that's I don't recommend to new players because you don't want the game to bog down with, I'm not too sure if that's, you know, a mountain land or not. So play with this kind of starting side. Now, what you're doing in this really interesting game is 
you are these interesting island spirits that have for generations protected and supported these native people, the Dahan. And they are all living very, very well and in, I guess, in, in perfect harmony with the with the earth here. And here comes all these colonists. So what's really funny about being a kind of Euro gamer and a gamer in general is most games you play are these historical colony games trading in the Mediterranean. And most of them are basically taking over native people's areas in order to take those resources, bring them back to Europe and score victory points. I can't tell you how many games I play with this. And honestly, it gets a little tiresome. It gets a little awkward. I just don't always like to do that theme. And it's pretty much pre prevalent in everything that we do gaming-wise. So playing a game where you are the native people trying to just hold on to your land, fighting them back versus his colonists that are not only just kind of building up their towns and cities, but are causing blight across the land as they're just taking all the resources. So at the start of the game, you play as one of these spirits. And what's really interesting here is it's not the kind of generic spirits. You could play as Lightning Swift Strike or Bringer of Dreams and Nightmares or Thunder Speaker or Vital Strength of the Earth. Now, what's fun about this and what's great, and we talked about this on the last episode, it, it these different spirits play differently, not radically differently, but they all have different special player powers that kind of snowball together a little bit. So you will pick a growth action and that's going to allow you to get new cards. It's gonna allow you to place your presence markers on the board. And that's very important because you're gonna be playing cards in this game. These are these different power cards that you're gonna be able to play. That's going to help you cause fear amongst the colonists, scare the heck out of them, and even push them back and eliminate them from the island. So having more presence allows you to, your powers to go even further to kind of help out the island and help out the native people because the native people aren't going to attack the colonists unless they've been attacked. So when you play these cards based upon which growth action you're going to take, you're going to be able to expend a certain amount of energy in order to play these cards. Some cards will be slow actions that will activate towards the end of the round and some will be these fast actions that will activate immediately. Now, being that's a co-op game, the colonists are going to have their own particular phase. Now, that phase is really dynamic and interesting and, and probably the most fun I've had about this game because while I love the artwork, I love the design, I love the asymmetrical gameplay, I love how thematic it is as far as these colonists exploring the different parts of the island and then when activated, they're going to build a town later build a city, and then even build even further. So they are spreading throughout the island. Think pandemic, like you have this virus you know, spreading across these different continents. And as the spirit, you are trying to halt or totally eliminate their spread throughout the game. So you are watching their different phases. There's an explore phase, then a build phase, and then a ravage phase. That's when they really do damage to the island. So you're trying to push back or wipe them out in those particular areas before they can ravage that area and do real damage. Because one of the lost conditions in this game is if they ravage those areas, they're gonna cause blight. These are little kind of interesting little gray tokens that are gonna pop up on the board and damage your presence. But once all the blight is out there, the game comes to an end. Not to mention you could also lose the game if they've explored 
and built and used all their cards in their deck, you're going to lose that there. Not to worry, there's victory conditions for you. So at the start of the game, you are trying to cause terror, try to cause fear to make them leave the island. So in the first couple of rounds, your victory condition is to eliminate all the explorers, all the towns and cities. But as you cause more and more fear by destroying towns and cities and pushing people out, the victory condition becomes easier. So during the terror level two, what you'll be able to do is just eliminate their towns and cities. And then terror level three, just eliminate their cities because you cause so much terror. Now, what's fun about the game is not just pushing and slapping these people around, but by causing terror, you're actually moving a fear pool down and resetting, which gives you additional cards to actually cast global effects. And then finally, if you're doing so well in that fear situation and you're not able to eliminate everybody, but once you get all those fear cards out of the way, it's an instant victory. So this game doesn't have an alpha game problem because everyone's playing their own spirit in their own particular way. They're spreading out their influence, but you still have to cooperate the cards in order to do the right things at the right times and being able to give each other energy and power and cards. It's very dynamic. There's a lot of table talk in this game. And the elements that the colonists bring are predictable, but once they spread, it's easy to be overwhelmed. I really enjoyed so much about this game from top to bottom. Everyone enjoyed the, this game. It really has a wow presence on the table. It has great little plastic miniatures for the colonists. And once again, the artwork here is outstanding. I will say I was a little disappointed with the game as far as when it does come to a you know conclusion because it comes all of a sudden. You either win or they wipe you out, but there really is no kind of buildup. It's just kind of like you're doing well, you're doing well, you won. Oh, oh okay. I, I guess we won, guys. We, we knocked out all the cities. So it's a little abrupt as far as that's concerned. It kind of comes out of left field. You just get yourself in a situation where you can kind of get to victory. But otherwise, it's a really solid game. I really enjoyed it. I know it has a small expansion with two more spirits, and I know it has a big expansion that's been out of print but coming back. I'm hoping to bring those to the table because the game can use a lot more of that thematic gameplay as far as that's concerned. I play this game solo. I play this game with multiple people. It plays great at every player count because the island shrinks or expands based upon the, the number of players. Spirit Island plays with four players. Spirit Island plays with one player. Spirit Island just plays great. Spirit Island is a buy. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, every now and then you have something you really like, and you're like, you get nervous when you like a friend or something's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at this game. I'm gonna see if it's any good. I'm like, all right, I hope you like it, because I don't want to have to fight with you. <laughs> uh, this is one of those games. Like whenever somebody says they don't like it, I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Our friendship is over. Like what did what what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with this game. It's amazing. Sure. Yeah, this is my favorite from last year. So obviously, you know what I think. Yeah, this made our top 100, and I've gotten a large number of plays because just because the player counts allow for so many different experiences and the different combination of spirits at the table rewards you with multiple plays because you learn more, you gain more, you know, tactical insight into this game, and just everyone really enjoys this game at the table. All right, Anthony, so that's our At The Table. Let's get on to our feature review. We've talked about some amazing hotness with our At The Table, but what is everyone talking about with BGG? What's the BGG hotness for January? All right, let's rattle them off. Um, 
Like we do every month, we're going to run through the 15 games at the top of the BGG hotness on the day we're recording this because we all know it changes constantly. So number one is the same game that's been number one for most of the last year, Gloomhaven. Yay. (laughs) It's been almost a year since I got my copy and cracked it open and started being like, hey, everybody, you should play this game. (laughs) So uh, it's crazy to see what's happened for it in the last year. It's great. (laughs) All right. So that's Gloomhaven at the top. Of course it is. Number two is Rising Sun. That is uh, shipping from Simon right now. So hopefully it shows up soon. I don't have my copy yet, but some people do. (laughs) So... (laughs) It's coming, guys. It's coming. Number three is Gentes. This is the new deluxified game from Tasty Minstrel Games up on Kickstarter. This was a Spielworks game. Originally, it came out last year and had a very, very limited print run. So it'll be interesting to see how they update it and what the all the deluxification does to the game. Because the original version, production-wise, was your standard Eurofare. Next up on the list here is a game I'm very much looking forward to. And that is Batman Gotham City Chronicles. So this is the Conan system that Monolith did, but with Batman. And like when they originally said that two years ago, I'm like, done, sold. When can I sign up? I can't take my money. <laughs> so the Kickstarter is supposed to launch in the next couple of weeks. So they can take my money soon. Now, next up on the list is Empires of the Void 2. This is the newest Red Raven game from Ryan Lockett. And it is shipping to backers as we speak. This is actually kind of a a revisit to one of his earliest games and universes. So uh, it's not one I've actually had a chance to play at all, and I did not back this, so I'm looking forward to getting a chance to play it. I I know somebody in my game group that gets all the Locket stuff, so I'm sure I'll get to play it soon. Next on the list, we have Nemesis. Now, Nemesis is a new game on Kickstarter. Don't know a whole lot about it, but it's a big box game, lots of miniatures from developers of... Other big box miniature games. I believe the guys who did uh, most recently Mythic Battles. There you go. Nemesis. <laughs> if you like your miniatures. We just talked about U-Boot. That is or U-Boat. I'm going to keep doing that every single time. <laughs> that one's on Kickstarter. That's why it's appeared on the list as well. Uh, Terraforming Mars is just a perennial. There's nothing new happening there. Uh, the Venus Next expansion came out about a month ago. So I guess people are playing through that. Charterstone. Same thing. It's been out for about almost two months now. So people kind of rattling through that one, still working their way through it. Most people didn't shotgun it like I did. So if you play it once a week, you're probably still working your way through that one. Western Legends. This is a Kickstarter game, as you would guess, because they all are. Uh, um, It is from Colossal Games, uh, designer Harry Lemaitre. And it is a Euro game, um, action point allowance, pick up and deliver kind of a thing in the Wild West. So looks interesting. There's not a lot of, like most Wild West games seem to have some kind of funky theme to them. They're trying to do something clever or different or they're, you know, you're flicking stuff around the board or you've got a train that you're climbing on or there's bang dice or whatever is going on here. It seems like kind of a, you know, more standard style board game um, with, of course, some poker style cards in it. So be interesting to see how that one plays as well. Gaia Project. I talked about this last week. This is the space upgrade for Terra Mystica, which I think is a little bit better than Terra Mystica and therefore is amazing. So definitely check that one out. Uh, Hunt for the Ring is the hidden movement game about Frodo and friends escape from the Shire. It's from the designers of War of the Ring, and they worked with the people who did uh, Letters from Whitechapel. So this is an amazing take on the uh, hidden movement game. It's basically like a a whole game based on that single mechanic from War of the Ring, which I think is really cool. And there's two halves to the game. So you can actually play 
two different times or you can play once together for a full like three to four hours. So it's pretty cool overall and, and an amazing production. The next one here is Rambo the board game because we're still doing this apparently. <laughs> we're we're still turning 80s and 90s stuff into board games. This is from Everything Epic Games. I think we've been plus or minus on a lot of their stuff, but people seem pretty psyched for it. It's a, it's Rambo in a board game. It's got miniatures. I think one of the cons we were at recently, people were running around with uh, headbands on, so that's they were handing these <laughs> out to people. It'll be interesting to see how that one plays. Next up is Scythe. Scythe is another perennial up here, and it recently had an expansion back in December as well. And then people are also looking at the new expansion, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, The Rise of Fenris. So lots and lots of interesting stuff going on with that one. And then the last one in the top 15 from the hotness is Neanderthal. This is Phil Eklund, and he has this on Kickstarter right now with Greenland. So these are two small box games, but they're not small, and they're Phil Eklund, so they're all like three and a half, four weight. They play one to three players, and the interesting thing about these two games is you can put them together. So they combine, and you can kind of play... Um, from one to the next. So this is actually one that I'm going to check out because they've been out of print for a little while and I heard about them um, from the solo side and haven't had a chance to play them. So I have my eye on both of these games right now. Yep. So that's all 15. All right. So a lot of good hotness going out there. A lot of good Kickstarters coming up. So definitely check out all of that greatness on there. All right. That's everything for us from this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.